0: Our New Testament reading this evening, we're continuing Colossians chapter 3 now. (coughs) Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Hear God's word. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, again, we thank you for your word. And we ask that you would give your spirit to enable us to receive it in faith. We pray that we would not hear the words of a mere man, but your word, the word of Christ, our Savior. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Now, the question that this text is asking us is this. Is your life more oriented to earth or heaven? There's a cliche that, that if you're, you can be so heavenly minded, you're of no earthly good. But that's entirely, that's entirely backwards. It's actually the case that the people who are most heavenly-minded are of the most earthly good. I mean, we see this most of all in Christ Himself. No one was so heavenly-minded as our Lord Jesus, so singularly focused on the kingdom of heaven. And no one has done more good than Christ. We cannot be too heavenly-minded. So, brothers and sisters, what is the primary orientation of your life? Is it more toward heaven or is it more toward this earth? Is heaven the center? Is heaven the aim of your life? You can think about that. The center and the aim. Picture a wheel. uh, And and the the center is the hub of the wheel. And all the spokes go out from that hub. And the hub supports the whole thing. And everything radiates into that center. Is, Is that heaven for you, the center of your life. And also, a wheel is going somewhere. There's an aim and a direction to it. It's having both the center and the the destination, the aim, the goal of your life, or is the here and now of this earth the center and the aim for you? Paul's desire for the Colossians is that they make heaven the center and the aim of their lives because that's where Christ is. That's where the risen Lord Jesus Christ is. And their life is in Him. So that's where their center and their aim should be. That's the point of this text for us. Let's take a quick look at the context here. Um, Paul's been arguing against the Colossian heresy uh, in much of chapter 2. And his main point in chapter two is don't live like a citizen of the old world under the, the rules and regulations of the old world, under the habits of the old world, because you're not a citizen of that old world anymore. You're you've died in Christ to the old way of doing things and, and you're alive in Christ to a new way of doing things. So don't go back to the old laws of the old world when you're not a citizen there anymore. Don't live by the basic principles, the ABCs of this world's sinfulness in its affections and in its actions. Don't live according to the traditions and opinions of men. No, live as you are. You're in Christ now. So live in Him. Live under His gospel. So Paul's been saying all this in chapter 2. And now as he continues on in what we have as chapter 3, he summarizes all that he's been saying. So he's distilling here several paragraphs of thought down to, down to just four sweet verses. First four verses of Colossians 3. And, and then these, these four verses really serve as a sort of outline for the rest of chapter 3 as he unpacks the implications of the commands that he gives here to set your mind on, on the things above, not on the things of earth. So these four verses are a distillation of everything Paul's saying down to its purest, simplest essence. And, and I think they're the heart of this letter. If we can grasp these four verses, we're really grasping the message of Colossians as a whole. The verse is also true. If we, if we don't grasp these verses, we're really missing the heart of this letter. So these are important verses, essential for us to, to know if we're going to grow up into Christian maturity. That's, that's what Paul wants for the Colossian church. That's why he's writing this letter. He tells them, Colossians 1.28, he wants them to, to grow up in, into Christ their head and reach fullness of, of Christian maturity in him. So to, to do that ourselves, we need these verses. We need to grasp the truth here. So as we, as we look at this, two headings to organize our thinking around as we consider this passage together. Number one, the heaven-centered life. See this in verses 1 through 3. And number two, the heaven-aimed life in verses 3 and 4. So first, the heaven-centered life. Uh, in verse 1, then again in verse 2, we're given the same command. Paul says, uh, set your mind on things above. Seek those things which are above. He's saying, make heaven the center of your life. Paul is saying as you live in the here and now, you know, in the, it, as you live in this world, don't be of the world. Make heaven your, your orienting center. I think we often think of heaven as the end goal. That's, that's where we're going. That's the end game. But uh, we'll see that's where Paul goes at the end of, of this little section. But first, he emphasizes that it's to be a present reality that dominates our life now. It's so easy to make this earth Uh, and, and the ways of this world dominate our thinking and our living in the here and now but paul says he wants heaven to be the reference point the thing that dominates our life now it's not just a future hope it's also a present reality for us well how are we supposed to do this how do we make heaven the center of our lives Because we are so embedded in this world, and in this world's habits and ways of thinking. William Wordsworth said, the world is too much with us. We are, by our sinful nature, obsessed with this world, with its pains and pleasures and promises and disappointments. And our tendency is to shrink everything down to the size and scope of the here and now, to make this world the hub around which I turn, the center that orients my whole life. So how do we put to death this habit? And, and as Paul says, set our minds on things above. Have heaven-centered lives. Paul's going to go on in the rest of chapter 3 to give us a whole catalog of habits and, and things to be striving after. Things to put to death, things to put on. But, but here, he just gives us the main central principle. He says, set your mind on things above, not on the things of earth. Notice the focus here is on our minds. I think there's a strong uh, anti-intellectual attitude in, our, in a lot of our culture today. And it's even in the church as well, the idea that to be a Christian is more about feeling and intuition and, and a mystical experience than it is about thinking. But there's a divorce there that we don't see in Scripture at all between, between thinking and feeling or thinking and living. Actually, in, in Scripture, what we see is a close connection an integral connection that can't be broken between thinking and living, thinking and feeling. So Paul starts with our minds, as he says over in, in Romans 8. He says something very similar. He says Romans 8:5 through 6. For those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live action according to the flesh, according to the spirit, set their minds on the things of the spirit. Do you see the connection there between thinking and living? Setting the mind on something and living out something. It's the same thing Paul's saying here in Colossians 3. How you think influences how you live. How you think drives how you live. We see this as, as Paul starts here. He puts the focus on our minds. Or he's not just thinking intellectually. I think he's thinking about the heart as well, the, the whole of the, the inner man. But there's a a focus on the inner man before we move to the the, uh, outer man. But he does say mind, and I think there's a focus especially on our thinking. Brothers and sisters, how much attention do we give to our thinking? How much intention do we give to our thinking? We we can be focused easily on outward behavior. We can be focused on, on what we do or don't do that pleases or displeases God. We can think about our, our thought life in, in terms of what's negative, uh, about what I need to avoid in my thinking. But Paul is, is saying here, in addition to what you don't set your mind on, he's saying set your mind. It's active and intentional. Set your mind on the things above. Our minds have to be set on something, right? They're not a vacuum. Uh, we have to have something filling our minds, something that we're focused on. And, and we'll never be able to take our minds off of the things of earth until we've set them actively on the things of heaven. It's no virtue to, to take my mind off one thing of earth and put it on another thing of earth. That's just to shuffle around different idols, and, and both are, are sinful in God's sight. We need to set our minds on the things above. What does this mean, the things above? Well, it refers to heaven refers to where Christ is. This is what we're to set our our minds on. Everything that has to do with Christ and his kingdom. What does that look like? What does it look like to to be someone who sets your mind on the things of Christ and and his kingdom? Well, it looks like loving his word. Giving your mind to his word getting up in time or, or staying up late enough to give time each day to studying His Word, writing it on your heart, not just, not just reading it and, and having your eyes glaze over, but taking it into your mind and your heart and having it shape the way you think so that His Word actually dominates how you live your life. Not, not your own agenda or your own idea of how to, of how to, to live, but Christ is the one who dominates us. It looks like memorizing Scripture. It looks like uh, having fellowship with other believers and encouraging one another in the Lord uh, to continue setting our minds on these things. It looks like reading uh, good, good books that encourage us in these things and, and address uh, who God is, who Christ is. It looks like going to the, the men's study or the women's study. Right? Having our lives punctuated by these habits of attending our, uh, to God's Word and having our minds fixed on His Word. This is, this is something like the New Testament equivalent, I think, of, of Deuteronomy 6, 6-8, which says this, These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates." Paul, I think, is saying a very similar thing. That's what we're to do with the things of Christ and His kingdom and the things of heaven. That, that we should have it so on our minds that, that as we get up, as we go out, as we get ready for work, as we go to work, these are the things that, that are always coming to mind as we come home from work, as we're laying down to go to bed. Right? To, be, to be always on our mind, always, always there for us, the, the things of Christ. Or to be in, like a like a, a fiance waiting for her wedding day, and her her thoughts are consumed with uh, the, 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 her, her groom to be. So set your mind on the things of heaven. Paul also gives us the negative of this. He says, "Don't set your mind on the things of earth." Now does this mean we never think about anything but theology? Some of us might wish that. Some of us might be glad that's not the case. Uh, That's impossible. That's not what we're being called to do here. It would be to give up on the duties that God has called us to do, to do that sort of thing. Paul's not calling us all to to go and and be monks. In fact, in chapter 3, he's going to spell out all kinds of duties that apply to relationships in the family and in the workplace. So we need to set our minds in many ways on the things of earth in that regard, on the duties God's given us to do. We need to set our minds on the recreations that are good for us that He's given us to do. But none of them is supposed to dominate and orient our lives, to be the center for us. God wants us to enjoy the good gifts of his creation and do our work well. But it is spiritually deadly to make those things the center, the rhythm and the the rubric of our lives. So this is the command here. Don't set your mind, don't center your life on the here and now of the sin-dominated world. Set your mind Center your life on Christ in heaven. Well, if you're like me, you say, well, that sounds nice, but it also sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> why, why should we do this? What's the motive here? Well, we see two reasons that Paul gives Colossians 3.3. 3. He tells us, you have died. You've died to the old world's way of thinking and living. Your sinful self, your, the, the, the you that belonged to the, to, the, to the ways of this world is, is dead now and buried. It doesn't exist anymore. That when you come to Christ, you died with Christ. It's, it's not just a metaphor here, brothers and sisters, And Paul says that. He's not saying it's, it's like you died. It's as though you died when you came to Christ. He's saying you died to sin. It's a real death. A real, not physical, but spiritual death. You died to the world's way of thinking and living when you came to Christ. Think of a prisoner on death row. He he has to live according to a certain set of rules and regulations. There's, there's, There's a way of living that dominates his life. When he dies, those rules don't bind him anymore. When we come to Christ, we die to the old world. And those ways of the world's life don't dominate us anymore. We're freed from them. So Paul is saying, don't live like you're still back there in prison, in the old world, because those laws don't apply. You've died. You're free now in Christ. So live according to Him. Live according to His grace and His gospel. That's the first reason. We should set our minds on the things of heaven not on the things of earth because we've died to this earth a real spiritual death a second reason we should set our minds on the things of heaven and that's this because not only have you died but you have been raised your life is in Christ and Christ is in heaven <clears throat> verse 1 tells us we are raised with Christ so the old self died to sin buried with Christ the new self the new man has been raised. He's been given spiritual life in Christ. We've been made alive in Christ, brothers and sisters. And it's a real life. It's, a, it's, it's, it's the, the beginning of the life that's going to be consummated when we are resurrected on the last day. It's a real spiritual life. So, so it's all bound up in Christ. In His resurrection, as we trust in Him, we are raised spiritually. In His ascension... We are spiritually ascended with Him so that our identity is with Him now. Paul says in verse 3, our life is hidden with Christ in God. Our life is hidden. It's tucked away. It's safe and secure in Christ. It's, it's, going to be, it's hidden. It's going to be made, made clear. It's going to be made apparent and outward, as verse 4 will tell us. But for now, it's hidden. But that doesn't mean it's not real, this spiritual life in Christ. Outwardly, we are still wasting away, right? But our real life is in Christ. It's not a metaphor. Our life is wrapped up in His life. Because we are trusting in Him, we're united with Him, we are with Him, with Christ. Christ dominates these verses. It's our union with Him that is all Paul's hope here. Uh, Commentators point out that Christ, the the word for Christ, is used four times in these four verses. There's barely any pronouns here. Paul says over and over, it's Christ, Christ, Christ. Our life is in Christ, and that's the controlling principle of our lives now. And so if my life is in Christ, my life is where Christ is in heaven. He is, he is reigning in glory at God's right hand. He's begun his reign in his kingdom. It's been inaugurated. And, and that's where we are now, brothers and sisters. Theologians talk about the already and the not yet. Things which are true of, of our, true of ourselves in Christ already now. And things that we're still looking forward to in Christ. And we need to hang on to both of those things. The already and the not yet. Here in these first few verses, we're talking about what we have already These are already things that are true for us, brothers and sisters. Heaven isn't just the aim. It is the center now. So hold on to that, brothers and sisters. Our life is in Christ, in heaven, with Christ. Nothing can change that. Nothing can threaten that. So let that center dominate your life. These two principles. My old self of this earth died with Christ. My new self is alive with Christ in heaven. Those principles will drive us to set our minds, not on this earth, but on heaven where Christ is. So give yourselves, give yourselves to this. So this is the already. This is what we already enjoy. But we've got to say more. Um, we've got to say more, and that's where Paul goes next. Not only is this an already, but there's a not yet here. There's something we're looking forward to still, and that is what we see next. The heaven aimed life in verses 3 to 4. The heaven aimed life. What is is your life aiming at? You can think of a GPS, right? You punch in where you want to go, and it tells you where you're going, and you don't turn off from that course. If you do, it complains at you to get back on that course until you submit. What's the destination that you've punched into the GPS? Of your life, and that's driving where you're going. Is it is it your own agenda or your, your own desires and dreams according to who you think you are, or is it Christ? And and Christ as He is in heaven. Verses three to four tell us that our life is in Christ now. It's hidden with Christ, uh, with, with with Christ in God. <clears throat> but this isn't always the way it's gonna be. Paul says here in in, in, in verse 4 that when Christ, who is our life, appears, we also will appear with Him in in glory because Christ is our life. There's a future and an aim here. Paul is saying you are in Christ now, but you're going to appear with Christ in the future in glory. Again, we see how, how, how Christ is everything for Paul here. Paul sees his whole life as identified with Christ in every way. He says, I died when, when, when Christ died. I was raised spiritually when Christ was raised. And I am, I am spiritually with Christ now in glory. And I'm looking forward to, to the day when I will be, when I will be uh, uh, finally physically with Him forever in the new heavens and new earth. Paul's life story has been taken up into Christ's story. This is so important. As Paul looks at the aim and the trajectory of his life, the destination that he's that he's tending towards, what's the story? The, the world story of, of the, the aim of a life or the end of a life is to, to make the most of the time you've got uh, and, and then to, to, to start physical decay sets in. Old age comes on and, and what's the end? It's It's... It's a gradual decreasing of life's joys and of ability and of meaningful things. And then there's death. That's the aim and the end of life for our culture. But it's not for Paul. Paul's saying, no, my death already happened when Christ died and now I've been raised and now I'm not marching downward to the grave. But in Christ, I'm I'm, I'm on my way heavenward. Paul says in verse 4, he says, Christ, who is our life. Christ's resurrection is Paul's spiritual resurrection. The guarantee of Paul's physical resurrection. And so Paul says, then my end, my, my destination, is the same as Christ's. Right? I'm bound up with Christ in His death, in His resurrection, His ascension. Will I not be bound up with Christ when He appears in glory? Are you bound up with Christ, brothers and sisters? Has your life been taken up into His life as you trust in Him and you're united to Him by faith? If you are, then His end is your end. And verse 4 tells us what that end is. When Christ, who is our life, appears, you also will appear with Him in glory. (laughs) What's this glory? Whose glory are we talking about here, Paul? Does it mean that I'm going to be there beside Christ? as he's being glorified, kind of sharing in that glory that he's receiving? Well, I don't, I don't think so. right? That's Christ is being worshipped as the divine Son of God who's accomplished our salvation. We're not going to be having a part in that. What's, what's the glory, Paul, then, that you're referring to? The text doesn't tell us explicitly here, but there's some other passages in Paul's writings which shed some light on this. One helpful one is Philippians 3. 19 through 21. Verse 19 talks about the end of those, the destination of those who set their minds in the things of earth. That end is destruction. But then verses 20 to 21 contrast this with the end of those who trust in Christ. Let me read them. Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we also eagerly await the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to His glorious body the other text uh, that, that uh, sheds some light on this is 1 Corinthians fifteen forty three. it the, the body is sown in dishonor it is raised in glory I think these parallels show us that what Paul is talking about here is the glory of our resurrected bodies in that we are going to have the same resurrected body that, uh, as Christ himself so that our, this glory isn't that we're going to be receiving worship or sharing in worship, but rather we're going to have a body like our Savior's body. When His glory appears, we will be equipped with bodies of glory as well. This is the end, the, the aim of those who are in Christ. This is talking about the resurrection on the last day. Why should this be our aim? Why should appearing with Christ in glory, right, given bodies like His, glorified bodies, why should that be our aim? Of, why should that be the thing that directs our whole life? Well, because this is God's aim in redeeming us. This is the, the goal. This is God's goal in the whole work of salvation. The resurrection at the last day, your and my resurrection at the last day, is not just an add-on or an extra at the end of the Christian life it is the point of everything else right the point of being a christian is not that i might be justified adopted sanctified those are glorious things but they're a means to a better end and the the end the end is that that i might be enabled to share in communion with the living god what is it what is it that makes our physical resurrection having glorified bodies with Christ. What makes that so good? That it would be the, the thing that drives, the, that's the goal of redemption. It's not that we're going to be without pain or, or sorrow or physical weakness or frustration or difficulty. Those are wonderful blessings that we look forward to And having a resurrected body like that of Christ. But, the, but these things are, are, are not the, the, the central point. The point is this, that when we're raised in glory with bodies like Christ on the last day, that's the point at which the new creation is, is complete and consummated. That's when we finally enter into the heavenly reward that God made us for. Of communion with Him. That's when, that's when uh, God's glory is manifest in us and we enjoy it forever and ever. Our catechism puts it like this. Question answer 38. What benefits do believers receive from Christ at the resurrection? Answer, at the resurrection, believers being raised up in glory shall be openly acknowledged and acquitted in the day of judgment because of Christ and made perfectly blessed in the full enjoying of God to all eternity. This is the point of the work of redemption, that that sinners might be brought into the new heavens and new earth to glorify and enjoy God forever. Not just, to, not just that we might be saved from the pains of hell, as wonderful as that is. Not just that we, we might uh, be forgiven of our sins, as wonderful as that is. Not just that we might be uh, with God in heaven disembodied, as wonderful as that will be. Not just that we get back to something like Eden, where there's, there's no pain and sin. No, the goal is something far, far better. And that is the new heavens and new earth itself, where God dwells with His people in perfect communion forever where Christ and His Bride are united forever. That's God's goal in saving us. Is it your goal? Is this your aim? The hope that drives you? That keeps your heart from being lured and pulled away by all the things of this earth which clamor for the throne of our hearts? The hope that keeps you steadfast in the midst of all the vagaries and upheaval of this present evil age. Is this your hope? My end is Christ's end. With Him in glory. Brothers and sisters, as as we close, let's just consider these two questions. What is your center? The hub around which your whole life turns. Is it Christ in heaven? Does that dominate your here and now? Number two, what is your aim? What is the destination that drives you? Is it to be with Christ in the heavenly world to come? Let us seek His grace to train our heart and our habits on these things, to set our minds on the things above where Christ is. Let's pray together.